You're listening to Personal Rejection Letter, a podcast by writers with day jobs. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan Lipman. And I'm Billy Daniels. Welcome sure? to the podcast. Yeah, I had to think about it. I'm not always Kelly Daniels. Try Who not are to... you often? I, Batman, you know, that kind of thing. Um... <laughs> what Most... was Anthony Weiner's pseudonym? He had a funny pseudonym, right? It was like Johnny Danger or something like that. Who? It was Carlos Danger. Wait, who, John... who are we talking about? Anthony Weiner, the uh, the congressman, oh, the dick pic guy. That's who you just immediately jump to when you think of secret identities. I get it. I know how you are. I'm talking into a laptop and doing other things as well. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Anthony Weiner. He was just fated to be who he was before birth, you know? Yeah, that's how I felt too. It kind of not his fault. I don't think it is. He just yeah. had to do that. And um, But anyway, today is an interesting day. It is a... Our episode today is Positively Positive. We're going to do something different, and it's going to be all good, as the old hippies used to say, or still do say, or the young hippies say. Um, Are there young hippies? Yeah, neo-hippie types, people with dreadlocks that go to fish concerts. I think those are hippies. Oh, Um, right. Okay. But the, the irony of the whole thing is the only time they say it's all good is when it's pretty demonstrably not good. That's like, so, I don't know, maybe we already blew the uh, the positivity thing, but we're going to talk about books that we love, and there's going to be no snark and no criticism. It's going to be straight up, we love it, and um, this is that's one thing about today's uh, episode. The other thing about today's episode is that it's a, a little patchy one. In fact, yeah, I was gonna, go ahead, I was, Dan. I was going to say, when you mentioned the topic, it sounded really familiar to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, we started recording uh, like after five or ten minutes the last when we recorded this episode. So we're patching in the intro. If you folks at home hear a little bit of kind of dissonance in between the intro and the rest of the thing, it's it's not your imagination. It's not a flashback from all that LSD you did in 1968. It is a uh, just patching stuff together. But maybe uh, our sound engineer will smooth it out so much that everything I'm saying just won't even mean anything, and you can just forget it like a bad dream. Good luck, Gabe, with that one. Oh, the crumpling paper. Uh, I'm not sure if we actually did a revision on the later, the the earlier recording, so we're just going to record one right now. And um, since we didn't really plan for it, let's just say the revision is let's be sure to uh, push the play button before we start talking next time. And yeah. uh, does that sound like a good shared revision, no. Dan? Actually, it sounds like bad advice. We should actually hit the record button. Next time. <laughs> Hitting the play button is what gotten us in this problem in the first place. You are right, my friend. You are not wrong. And uh, so there's like a revision within a revision. We've done that before. And I'll tell you something else. The next thing that you're going to hear me say is you announcing the topic and me saying that I don't remember it. So I'd like to pre-revise that mistake. Is all about what we love 
and that is books. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so we are going to just talk about, I figured I just came up with a random smallish enough number so we can keep uh, some parameters on this. Um, three books each right. that we just are crazy about. Now, it's not one of those the three books that are ranked or anything, or because, you know, that's impossible to do. Right. So we're going for just three books that really kind meant of... Meant a lot to you as you were Yeah, going. just okay. that you re- that definitely these are recommended. Okay. Recommended for reading more than once. And are you pretending that you just are hearing this for the first time? I or? know you sent me an email, but as I told you just before we went on there, I had a rough week. I remember hearing this So now, you're just like coming, coming up with coming your up books with, right, right now. now. Let's see. Nice. Right, I only did one more. Hold on. Keep talking. Yeah. I'll get it. <laughs> okay. And you know what? Two out of three ain't bad, Dan. Two out of three ain't <laughs> right. bad. And if you really think about it, one out of three, if you're a baseball player, hitting, getting a hit one yeah. out of the three times you're up, up to bat, is you're one of the best. Yeah, you'd be a millionaire. Yeah. I so, could, you know, a really good baseball player could make, seriously, I'm not even joking, over a million dollars a year if you're really good. <laughs> seriously. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I think um, I left this pen last time I was here. And there it is. I'm a little distracted. That yeah. was weeks ago. Okay, I'm ready. Let's so, broadcast. What do you? I wanted to start with you because you know you're my guest. I'm the host, oh my and gosh. Uh, what I want you to do is to start with a book. I'm going to tell you like. one book that I really love that meant a lot to me recently, and I came to it kind of late in life, which is The Prime of Miss Jean Brody by Muriel Spark. Do you know that one yeah, at all? No, it's terrific. It's short. Um, it's from. It's uh, set in Edinburgh, I believe is how you pronounce it. And um, it's. Are you ready? Taking notes. Prime uh, yeah, because I'm always Jean looking Brody. for good books. And, oh, you're uh, gonna love this. What Here's, is it called again? The Prime of Miss Jean Brody. And it's funny as hell. It's tight. It's tight, tight as testicles, as Oscar Wilde once observed. Whoa. Not about that book. Testicles um, aren't always that tight. Well, they were for Oscar Wilde. Do you mean he wasn't talking about the sack? He was talking about what's in the sack. I really don't know what the. So the testicle is a tightly wound kind of thing. I think the two balls, yeah, they're very they're tight. sensitive. We're tight as testicles. Okay, whatever. That's what he said. I think he was actually talking about being drunk. Anyway, the uh, the the prime of Miss Jean Brody, he, what she does, and I try to convey this. Oh, I thought of my third book. Let me just write it down before I forget. I almost. Uh, what she does in it's about it's it's a it's a it's a shorter book. And uh, she gets the, the, the entire lives of four or five girls at this girls' school, plus the teacher, who's a little bit of a fascist. It's set in the 1920s, and there's like these overtones of fascism. But it's hilarious. She gets their entire lives packed into about 150 pages, from when they're little kids to their, to their middle age, till they're, till they're dead. By the way, all that's in the first chapter. She's jumping back and forth in time so quickly and so fluidly. There is not a word wasted in it. And uh, the economy of, of her sentences, it's really a thing to behold. Plus, it's hilarious. Plus, it's engrossing. And uh, it's, it's, I, I, I put it probably one of my 10 How most How has it books. affected you, like, beyond just enjoyment? Well, I use it to teach. Uh, I use it in my creative writing classes as much as possible because what it has done for me, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you got nothing. I got nothing. You, it's, you know what? I just, I just am a receiver. I just receive pleasure, and I give nothing back in the world. I think that, uh, I actually, I think that it has shown me that you don't sort of have to be. Uh, if you're trying to be funny, you don't have to be broad. You can be as as quiet and as as just these sort of uh, throwaway lines of hers, yeah. 
and I, I wish I and you've it. read it more than once. Right? I have. I've read and it. It's funny even on second, and it's even better. It's one of those stories. Like I, I would call Alita this too, uh, where uh, you, you're not even aware of what the story is the first time you're reading it. You kind of get through it, and each time I've read this book, I've probably read it three or four times, um, at least three times. I understand the story more clearly because so much is happening in each paragraph with each one of the girls. Uh, what happens is that th there's some male teachers who are interested in Miss Brody, but she kind of uses the the girls as sexual surrogates for them. But it's 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 very in a sort of a genteel. How old are these girls? Well, they are. They start out being you know like third, fourth graders, and they end up graduating high school. So whatever, okay, whatever that range. And when is. do they become sexual surrogates? It, it's all kosher. It's all legit. You don't, you okay. don't have to ban the book. No, but I think I think I didn't want to ban it. Yeah, is, it is this Lolita or is no? It, uh, but it, but there is a little whiff of uh, of. Um, Purient stuff happening, mm -hmm. uh, especially with the art teacher. There's an art teacher and there's a music teacher. She's got great lines like um, she she criticizes the science teacher. Um, she says something like, "The science teacher says safety is the most important thing, but I think art and literature are the most important thing." You know, just like these great lines. Where she mm -hmm. clearly doesn't even understand the That's topic. Hilarious. <laughs> it's oh, that was really it's a laugher. Yeah. <laughs> You will no, see, I believe Muriel it. Spark does it a lot better. How Trying to paraphrase like a really funny line right. is, is usually not when you're work, not so. prepared. Got it. You didn't prepare, did you? The you problem of Miss Jean Brody. I did. Uh huh. And I'm sorry about your tough week. Well, I appreciate it. And that. I, I'm also sorry on behalf of all our listeners who are suffering with you because, because I didn't not prepare. prepare. Yeah. But I have I have written down my two my two other books right here. That's so. good. But let's hear your I, first one. Now. My first one is. Um, uh, not a funny book, but uh, it's called Far Tortuga. Oh, yeah. By Peter, is it Matthiasen or Matheson? I say Matheson. Matheson. So there you go. Three different. Who knows? I do not know how to pronounce his name. Yeah. I've heard it in different ways. But um, what I love about it, I think it was published in the 70s. It probably says I have the book before me right now. Mm -hmm. um, I probably have like a copyright. Thing, huh? And uh, yeah, he's very Baroque like that, 1975. Right? So, 1975, it was a time of great experimentation in American fiction, and mostly like postmodern smart-ass stuff. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of that going on. John Barth and all that kind of business, you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Um, Bart Tortuga. Yes, indeed. You know, it's a beautiful book, and okay, so... Everybody was a maximalist in at that period, it seemed like. Or at least a lot of attention was coming to the maximalist voice-driven. And um, this is a book um, that drawings is, in it. Yeah, there's drawings in it, and there's it's really a strange book. It's got different sizes of font to, to kind of distinguish the different people. It's got almost it's all, it's it's written like a screenplay. There's not paragraphs. It's just different characters talking, mm -hmm. and there's no dialogue tags or anything. You just have to get used to the voices. Um, and what's amazing is that you do get used to them. You know exactly who's talking, and it's a boat full of um, Caribbean people on a turtle hunting expedition. And uh, it's a really strange, you know, there's all kinds of in metaphorical value to the boat is... Mm. Used to be a boat that was wind powered, but they're kind of half transitioned to diesel, and so okay. it's weird. the The engine blocks the view of the pilot house because they're sort of like um, jerry rigging it, and so they have to have a separate person to tell the pilot which way to go. And 
there's some bad characters and some good characters and some lazy ones and some hard workers and when's it set um you know what i don't know i haven't read it in many years i'd like to read it again mm. it seems i don't know i don't know when it's set probably 20th century at okay. some point and um it's a it's got a little bit of a uh, Moby Dick kind of vibe to right. it. If I'd read it in the last several years, I'd probably be better at talking about it, I realize now. Sure. But I really want to recommend it to anybody who likes... Who wants to read a novel that is unlike any other novel you've ever read. And okay. he's and Matheson is into, was into um, Zen Buddhism. And there's all these like little kind of Zen drawings mm -hmm. and a lot of white space. And uh, the actual pieces are... Pieces of the writing are are kind of come in little chunks to represent time passing and things like that. And it's just a really wild adventure, you know? Right. There's, like, bad weather, the ship starts getting, you know, bad. There's all kinds of um, conflict among the crew members, and it's got this great voice of, like, the Jamaican Yaman kind oh, of yeah, voice, yeah. which is very hard, very easy to screw that up, especially a white guy writing it. Right. Um, Matheson actually spent several months on a turtle fishing boat, uh -huh. like as, and you know, when he's a famous writer, you get to, he founded the Paris Review. You ever heard of the Paris Review? Uh-uh. He's one of the founders, I think. Is it like the sun? It's almost as good as the sun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Um, it's up there. It's in there. <laughs> yeah. Um. Is he dead? Yes. Recently though, right? Kind of recently. Yeah. yeah. Last five years. Maybe. Okay. Something yeah. like that. Maybe wrong about the five this is, years. I know he's got this uh, trilogy that are set, set in Florida about kind of Florida coming yeah. of Mr. Bones Watson and Mr. Watson. I read yeah. the, the Mr. Watson's Bones. I think is yeah. that book. Yeah, that's a great book, and it does is the it? same thing. It's got uh, the voices are uh, are separate. There's no chapters, yeah. but um, but I think in that one it does tell you which one of them is speaking. So that's a style I guess he's utilized a lot. Huh. Interesting. I haven't read that. I'd like to. Um, I've also read The Snow Leopard, which I loved in At Play in the Fields of the Lord. is amazing. Oh, yeah. I saw that movie. Terrible movie. Is it? Well, if you read the book, it's terrible. The movie is just makes the unattractive character look really handsome. Mm -hmm. and It just does, it makes all these crazy moves that are just wrong. That's so, the problem uh, with the movie, is that the movie has to be a good movie first, first and foremost. So it, it can't be... It can't, and by good movie, it means that everybody needs to look be better than everybody. Yeah. And the place is supposed to be this total mud pit of a yeah. Caribbean, um, not Caribbean, but a rainforest kind of place that's really disgusting and gross. But it actually, in the movie, it's this really charming, beautiful little village right. in the forest right. that has a river that goes by it and... You pull up to the bar on a boat like yeah. that has a dock, and it's like, I want to go there. And Daryl Hannah's nude in it. Daryl Hannah is nude, and in the book, but she's not Daryl Hannah. See, if that's something character. the movie does do better. She's a character. She, they're all missionaries. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, nude missionary action and some missionary sex in the book and in the movie. <laughs> do they but, use the position in that? I believe that the big, the climax was um, doggy style. The missionary doing the doggy style was, that's growth. It was yeah. sort of like evolution right. and, you know, also sinning. Yeah. They gave up their gods. Yeah, they never do say, I, I'm, a, I'm a doggy style in Africa. They just say, I'm a missionary in Africa. And they shouldn't have to do that. They shouldn't have to talk, discuss it quite that frankly. <laughs> Your joke. Of course. You're so funny. Uh, so anyway, Barb Tortuga, what about, uh, let's just rapid fire these. We don't need to. My second one that I prepared ahead of time is a book called The Unconsoled. 
by Ishiguro. Do you know Ishiguro, the writer? Mm-hmm. He wrote um, many books, including other books. He wrote other mm-hmm. books. I think he's written six other books, including the one that they made that the the Howard's End. Not no, Howard's End. The other it's one. like that. Yeah. It's the other one, and I want you to say The Remains of the Day. Remains of the Day. That's a beautiful book. That is a great book. And it's got, so if you remember the book, Remains of the Day, it's got this one section where the butler kind of goes off into the, into the land, and he's mistaken for being a gentleman. Mm-hmm. And it's got, it, it, the book at that point becomes a little bit surrealistic, and everything becomes kind of much more colorful, excuse me, much more arch, and there's like, you can see like the roads don't kind of follow to the end and it, it gets a little dreamy at that mm-hmm. point. Just at that point in the book. Well, The Unconsoled is really, it's, it's a much longer book and it's the whole thing is like that. It's a very dreamy kind of a novel, except to call it a dream really undersells it because it's a, uh, it's a very realistic book, but it is as if, it's told as if the dreams this guy is having, it's never mentioned that there's a dream, but um, are the reality. He suddenly remembered. It's called the Unconsoled, and it's about uh, a like a concert pianist. Well, he might be a violinist, but anyway, he's a concert musician. It doesn't really matter in the book. Pianist. How dare you? <laughs> oh, Kelly. Anyway, he shows up there to this town, and everybody has this response to him. It's also sort of a meditation on celebrity because he's in their lives through their through his music and stuff like that. And so his kind of like his his corporal corporality, his spiritualness and his corporal kind of get incorporated into their lives as well. And, mm-hmm. and so it, it kind of takes on every single chapter is it, it as surrealistic as it is realistic in a way that I don't think any other writer is working in this particular mode. It's like Kafka, but it's I to me it's much it's much more um it resonates with me more more uh what than Kafka, more yeah. clearly than Kafka. And I, I think it's uh it's a it's a little bit on the longer side, but it's a great book. It never lets you down. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, Ishiguro also has a novel called Never Let Me Go. Never Let Me Down? Never Let Me Go? Yeah, about the clones? Yeah. Yeah. That's a heartbreaker. Yes, it is. Oh, it's like painful. Like, punch me in the nose. And uh, that's what I just read. Yeah. uh, But great. He's a fantastic writer. Yeah. And there's another book that he wrote that I love, too, that also has a... It's it's kind of a... That one's sort of a science fiction book, but he's got this kind of detective one where Mm -hmm. this detective... But it's kind of the same thing. He's just moving from one sort of dreamy episode to the other. He's never... You never see him, like, on the job or solving a case or something, but people keep referring to the the case of this or the case of that, like it's a Sherlock Holmes thing. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's a lot of fun. He's great. So he can be funny. He is very funny. It's a great yeah. drive. Revisions. Uh, Bro. Since the last one? Mm-hmm. Well, Kelly, I think that in the last episode, are you still crumbling paper? No, I have to read what I crumbled. I crumbled the wrong one. Revision. Okay. Well, I just want to say, everybody, that uh, in the last episode, we talked about submitting. And uh, I just want to say, I didn't think that we were supportive enough of the submission process. Okay. I don't, I don't remember anything. Uh, yeah. I've had a rough week. <laughs> yes. So you've mentioned. Yeah. Um, Plus mine do. was, I actually have one. I listened to the um, PED, the PED Yeah, episode. that was a good one. It was good, and I thought it was pretty funny, and we were riffing, but I think I went over the edge when it came to the Viagra discussion, um, not because I was, um, you know, maligning uh, Rush Limbaugh, I right. was happy to do that, but uh, more because um, it was when I was, t- I don't know what the hell I was talking, I was just going and going and not really thinking about what I was saying, and I, I was kind of mentioning that I don't think 
men should be allowed to have Viagra because their wives should be allowed to have affairs if they can't get boners. Mm -hmm. And I, my whole thinking on that was just weird was and fuzzy. wrong yeah. and um, disturbing. It was. Uh, I was going really well with the uh, people that have that need to take heart medicine should just die. Mm -hmm. That was funny. But then I tried to just keep going with the Viagra, and I hit. It just went into a strange place. And, and off uh, the air, you told me that you thought rather than having affairs, women should be forced to loom to make sweaters and stuff like that. That they should have a quantity of sweaters that they need to make every week, and that a man, a real man, will provide a loom for them to work on yes, when they're is, not around. That's right. I did say that. I don't remember saying it, but I just trust everything you say to me about what I said. Just not. So, yeah. 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 Anyway, that's my revision. That was good. And, uh, you know, I would, if I were to revise it, I would go back and come up with something funny to say about the Viagra, and uh, maybe not make it so kind of like icky sexist and more like a something else i thought it was feminist because you were saying that if a man can't provide the sexual i think you said mugambo for the woman then she should be allowed to look elsewhere i, I find oh, that she should be feminist. but it was more like she should be forced to it was almost <laughs> you know what i mean it yeah. was kind of like okay. that's, that's wrong the, the purpose of women is to sit on a boner but i, I think Lord. that's what i detected in it a little bit and uh, maybe it's the um pot calling the kettle black what does that mean? That is a very misunderstood uh, right. um, cliche, and you should look it up, folks, if you didn't listen to last week. Last uh, week, we yeah. learned a lot last week. I'd like to revise. I would. I would like to revise uh, the idea that um, you get two revisions this time now, huh? Since you didn't prepare, that means you get extra. I prepared one revision. I forgot we were doing two episodes. That's today's uh, America. Mm -hmm. The worse you are, the more uh, stuff you get. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. It's a meritocracy. Making it happen. Okay. No, a rough ahead. week. What's your... That's it. My next one is um, actually four books. That's not fair. I know, but they don't... They Okay, I'll just say the first one. My Brilliant Friend by That's... Elena Ferrante. It's not Elena Ferrante, it's Elena. My wife is Italian, citizen, and uh, so is Elena Ferrante, and that's how you pronounce it. Um, just a brilliant... Okay, we always talk about... A bunch of other books, Charles Portis and mm -hmm. Mouse Garden, a bunch. So these, I'm just going to new places. And uh, My Brilliant Friend, the four novels that make up this big story is just riveting to me. And it's about mm -hmm. a friendship that has a lot of conflict in it. And it just, from the very beginning, these two little girls playing, they meet each other, they have dolls. One of them kind of talks the other one into, into trading dolls. Right. And they're super poor girls. They only have one doll. That's their only toy. That means a lot to them. And then the one, the brilliant friend one, playing with the narrator's doll, like drops it into a sewer grate. Like oh. it's so <laughs> incredible. Like I mean, it sounds like oh, who cares? A little kid's playing. One of them being mean to the other. But the the skill and the craft of the writer just getting us into these girls' lives so quickly and so. Um, deeply that it's devastating and the book just doesn't let up from that point on and um, it's just brilliant four novels that I was really really sad that, that they ended and so highly recommended I read her um, Days of Abandonment have you read that one I haven't yet I need to just that's a wild ones, ass book is it yeah I haven't but I haven't read those four and I know that that's the one that everybody's uh, 
Kelly, my next book is the yes. American Noir Collection, which is 11. If you get four, I get to have 11. It's wow. the American Library no- American Noir. Okay. And of noir of the of the of the forties and the fifties, and uh, I there was there was it was just a terrific. It took me about two and a half years to read all eleven of the novels in there, kind of jumping back and forth, and they really changed the way I uh, think about fiction. Like this is all the stuff that I was always taught in grad school is like the beneath me and the under it's underwriting. It's it's mm-hmm. it's genre stuff. I heard Strangers on a Train is um, just absolutely amazing. Probably. Is that in it? No, it's not that in was it? not in oh. it. But I think who wrote that? Is that um, Hightower? Patricia, Patricia Hightower. Hightower? Um, is it Smith? Patricia Highsmith. Hightower, Hightower Smith. I think so. She wrote um, one of her novels. Is in there the uh, the Ripley story? Yeah, the, the talented Mr. The talented Ripley. Mr. Ripley. Yeah. That's in there, and that's a terrific book. Yeah, that's a great book. And um, uh, Postman Always Rings Twice is in there, mm-hmm. and you know there's no postman in it. Interesting. That's weird. They shoot horses, don't they? That's yeah. a, that's a great book, hmm. and that's that takes place uh, in the course of a uh, a dance marathon over the, the these um, twenty five hours or something like. That. Oh no, no, excuse me, it's days, it's days. They have to dance for fifty minutes every hour, and it just goes on for days and days and days. And by the time uh, you know, by the end of it, you're you're as nuts as they are. It's very well written. Wow. There's a lot of great stuff in there, uh, and the, the writer that uh, I had never heard of before is this um his name is charles williford mm-hmm. and uh he wrote remember that book i had on that trip it was uh coxman about the, it was uh, shit it was about the uh the uh the guy who uh does the uh cockfighting cockfighter that's what it's called mm-hmm. it had that rooster on the cover you remember that book we were rooming together in that uh in that little house in the uh on the mississippi river shit see every time i bang the table it does that huh well Okay, so that's I'm just not going to touch it. Anyway, he's a great writer, and his his uh, I've since gone on and read a bunch of his stuff, Charles Williford, and it's all terrific. It's all genre, it's all noir, but it's really well written. It's really a lot of fun, and the characters are strong. And I think that noir has become literary. It's know. kind of gone the other way. Yeah, I think that it's seen as as important, and so it's like a lot of science fiction, and um, so ideas about what that the. the the hard line between genre and literary is, I think, has largely dissolved, and there's just like literary just becomes another genre, and there's complete crap literary that is considered literary in the publishing industry. Right. And then there's great stuff that they consider sci-fi or or whatever, and um, you know, I just think there's good stuff and there's bad stuff, and and uh, it doesn't matter what what category we put it in. Yeah, this is really well put together, this edition, and it's very handsome. And you know, it's the American Library, so you get a little red ribbon to use as a bookmark. It's a lot of fun. The ones that are attached? Yeah. And then you sort of like... They're sewn in. Mm-hmm. Like um, when you buy the journals that you write in, they, they often come with Oh, those. right, the blank page journals. So you know, yeah, so you know where, where you can... Yeah, that's always kind of okay, but kind of annoying. No. There's like a little Cause they string thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think they're dumb. I, you got the OCD. Probably a little bit. Um, I don't know. Do I have anything else? You said bring three, so I uh, that's, those are my three. I did, oh, yeah. Straight Man. Yeah. Ever, oh, Richard Russo. Yeah. You ever read it? No. Funny. Yeah. It, you wouldn't think it's funny. It's about a professor, a creative writing professor. Not and, interesting. I know. No, it's boring. And uh, But it doesn't... It takes place in this nowhere, you know, 
third tier state university in in the the provinces oh. of Pennsylvania and all these people. I don't know. Richard Russo land. He always writes about that area, right? Yeah, and this is just funny, funny, funny. For me, it was just from beginning to end, just a delight. And then also has a quite a lot of resonance in terms of, you know, who these people are. And uh, anyway, I just think it's a, a joy to read. And also just kind of amazing that you can do this first-person, smart-ass character who doesn't get tiresome. Yeah. Um, and it's because there's a difference between what he says and what he thinks. What he thinks, he seems like a real person that you really, you understand. What he says is just pure smartassness and often funny. But but if that's all you got, then you would just think, what a phony. And then you realize, well, he is, a, all of us are. Like the things we say and what we present to other people is, is a pretty thin mask over a, a deeper um, a deeper idea of self or authenticity or whatever. And wow. Anyway, yeah. it's a good book. Do I have to be a creative writing professor to enjoy it? I don't think so. I think anybody. Um, I told my mom to read it just so she had some idea what I did for a living. Yeah. And uh, she, I think she said she liked it. <laughs> That's always good. I think. Francine Prose wrote about uh, writing workshops, one of her books. There's a lot of them out there. Yeah. For some reason, there's a lot of writers who know a lot about writing yeah, workshops. Yeah, weird. That's yeah. why it's so hard to do, I think, because it's overdone and... Most people, you assume, don't care. You can almost imagine like Richard Russo's agent's eyes rolling up into his head when he says, "I'm writing a book about a creative writing professor." Yeah, I think. But this so. is the this is the good one you're saying. He wrote okay. He wrote it just for as a lark, and he didn't think it was going to be published, or if it was, it was going to be like this minor little book. Right. And he said it just started like it was the easiest book he'd ever written. He wrote it in a matter of months instead of like usually it takes him years. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, by the time he finished it, it was essentially a first draft. And uh, he said it was just a gift from the muse, you know. It's yeah, just yeah. that's the only time that's ever happened in his life. And, uh, you know, he cherishes it and he got lucky on it. Right. And just hit a vein and... I'm going to read it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very funny. I remember the cover of the book. I know you're not supposed to, but it's... Yeah, it's it a duck. No, it's a chicken with an arrow through its head, like a Steve Martin arrow through its head. Yeah. Like a rubber chicken. That, yeah, rubber chicken with an arrow. Yeah. With an arrow? Okay. Yeah. That's how I remember. Yeah, could be wrong. Sounds right. Definitely a rubber chicken. Yeah. Um, it, that's three for me. That's two for you. Well, no, I did uh, Muriel Spark. Yeah. Ishiguru the Unconsoled. That's right. And Eleven Noir. That is three. So we're good. And I did three too. So that's all I owe you. So three plus three is six. We're done. Six is the number, is a human number. It's one third <laughs> of six, six, six. Satan. What? You know, that's... <laughs> um, we actually do have one more thing to do. Oh no! What you reading? What you writing? Uh, what you arithmeticing? I'm reading Mitch Suskind's, uh, Siskind's "Do Not Be a Gentleman When You Say Good Night." That's what you said last third time. Third of it's really good. I'm still working on it. I haven't finished it in the 20 minutes. But you're also time. presumably right sometimes, and you also have a day job. Correct. And the teaching's going really well. Thanks for asking. The writing's not going so well. This is a really busy time for uh, me. And a, and a tough week. I had a tough week. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to podcasts rather yeah. than writing. The, right, the podcasts have stolen my writing time. Hmm. S-Town just came out. Yeah. Your listeners are have all listened to S-Town as well. I haven't. You will. But I just uh, subscribed to it. Yeah. There's only six or seven There's episodes, right? There's seven, and they released them all at once. Yeah. They did that thing that Netflix is now doing, the Netflix mm-hmm. model. And yeah. um, you, you'll go through them pretty quickly. Pretty compelling stuff. Yeah. 
That's well, what I've been reading. I actually have a question. Okay. For my, it's my writing thing. I've, I've told you I've got two projects that I'm sort of bouncing back and forth on, and mm-hmm. one of them is a collection of kind of true stories. I wrote them like short stories. They're first person. They're from very various sections of my life. To get there, they're all about you know the same character, and mm-hmm. together they could be kind of a. A memoir, I suppose, but it's not tightly, but it wouldn't be called a memoir because. Right. Um, and there's probably a little bit more ruminating than a short story would usually have. Right. Um, my problem is what is that? What is that book? Is it an essay collection? Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it's exactly an essay collection. Is it? It's not a story collection because they're all true stories and they have a little more rumination. Um, short memoir collection isn't a thing, really. I just don't, I've never, and it just doesn't roll off the tongue very well. So I'm having a hard time, and there, there's all these thematic kind of resonances between the, among the different stories. Um, I think of them as stories, but they're just true stories rather than short stories. And um, I think what you've written is poetry. Yeah. Right. Prose poems. <laughs> Prose poems, right. No, they're not. They're definitely, they're narrative. Okay. So I don't know. I guess I'm trying to figure out what the thing is. And and maybe on some level I shouldn't worry about what it is, but you also want to get it published. And so if you can't yeah. explain what it is or what category it sits in, and it's not like it's such a strange thing. Like everybody, people have been writing personal stories for a long time. It just doesn't seem like there's a category for it. Well, there's some honor in just saying it's genre, it's genre busting, or it's new, it's something new, it's something that not quite hasn't been quite done before. That, but it doesn't seem that that's true at all. It's, it's been done a lot. It just hasn't been. You just haven't finished it yet. Could you polish it up? What do you mean? How many pages is it? How many words? Um, I think it's up to. It depends on which ones I include and which ones I don't. Right. But it's between, you know, sixty and seventy thousand so words. Right. Um, collage. Can you call it a collage? I don't know. Probably not. Personal narratives? That doesn't sound that great. I think you need to let the suits decide what Stories. it is. You just work on it. You just listen to uh, your artistic uh, yeah. noise. And, and then who do I send it to, though? Um, I don't Melville. think a literary agent would want anything to do with no, that. No, absolutely not. There's no money to be had there. But Melville, Melville House, send it to them. I don't think they accept uh, unsolicited manuscripts. No, they don't. What about um, that place in Portland, that Poe Valentine? Yeah, they don't. Um, they don't even yeah. any kind of decent, even small press. They don't. They don't really accept submissions anymore. Why don't we open? Why don't we start our own press? Hey, that's a uh, topic that I want to do for another time, and we'll have a guest. Okay. A friend of mine started a press, and I just contacted him yesterday, and said, "Hey, do you want to be a guest and talk about this stuff?" And he said yes, and he's never that's listened great. to. He's never listened to a podcast, what? so now he's going to listen to our podcast just so he can be on. Okay. But that'll open the door for all the other podcasts, and it'll change his life. It just like, just at, at, what, at what point in the podcast when he's our guest are you going to uh, pitch the idea that you just described to us? Um, I'm not going to do that <laughs> while 10. he's on. It, it'll do it after. Like, oh, when we were talking, we usually Mark, go out for beers. You know, when we were talking, yeah. Mark, I just the craziest idea occurred to me is uh, you should. Uh, well, the thing is, well, never mind. It's there's there's oh, certain kinds of there's certain kinds of people who 
who make a press, but it's really not that much different from self-publishing in a way. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just plain right. old, like, Amazon and print-on-demand. Exactly. No and, distribution. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess if I get to that stage of that's where it's going to end up, that'd be fine. Okay. I think I probably do have some options there, but I want to aim for a press that's going to get it out there a little bit more and sure. that it might make the literary news for five minutes just because of its publication. And so anyway. Yeah. There's always the academic presses. I think they're, <coughs> we don't really talk about them much, but my press is an academic press and yeah. they, they're always looking for something interesting. Livingston. That's right. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. I met that guy. He has a big beard. He has a big beard. I've never met him. Yeah. My he was at friend. AWP. Yeah. He's nice funny. guy. Yeah. All so right. I think that's it for me. Did did I get you? Did you get a chance? Did to I eat? mention my books? Yeah, yeah, you did. Okay, I'm hungry. Yeah, yeah. Let's go eat. All right, everybody. Um, apologies for this episode. Yeah. Like, thanks for listening. Um, yeah, thanks for hanging in there. I hope at least you got a good workout. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, next time we'll do better. You know, uh, let's we'll vow. Try. Let's yeah. vow. We're gonna do better. It's just gotta be better for sure. Yeah. Willpower. We gotta do our getting drunk one. Maybe that's what I think that's next. Maybe that's what we're right. why we're missing. And our former guest, Joe Bonomo, wants to join us on yep. that. So yep. we'll have somebody at least to buy us drinks. He's gonna buy us drinks. That's that's the deal. Nice. Wait, that could be a big check by the end of the day. Well, we'll right. find out. Don't All right. Okay, expensive. everybody. Take care. Bye bye now. Special thanks to Augustana College and WOG Student Radio. Gabe Tucker is our audio engineer, and Sub-Atlantic provides the theme music. You can reach Dan and Kelly on Facebook. We always welcome comments, critiques, suggestions, and especially praise. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you like what you hear, do a podcast a solid and leave a review on iTunes. See you next time.